Before we dive into this episode of HRD Masterclass, I'd like to take 30 seconds to share the exciting news that we're now seeking sponsors for Season 5 to release in 2024. This is a wonderful opportunity to support the podcast series and also share your message with 3,500 HRD listeners around the world. Sponsorship options cost just $750 and $600 per episode, and for full details, contact D-A-R-R-E-N at allbypodcast.com. Right, let's start the episode. When I'm with academic colleagues, scholarly colleagues, and some specialist HRD consultants, they get very upset at the possible overlap of the, of the borders and the boundaries between human resource development and human resource management. Welcome to Human Resource Development Masterclass, the podcast series from the Academy of Human Resource Development, the organization that leads HRD through research. I'm your host, Darren Short, and here in our third season, we're exploring the relationship between HRD and other topics and disciplines with the help of leading authors, researchers, and scholars. Today, our focus is the relationship between HRD and HRM. And my guest scholars are Valerie Anderson of the University of Portsmouth in the United Kingdom, Ronan Carberry of Cork University Business School in Ireland, and Jacek Moransky of the Warsaw School of Economics in Poland all of whom joined me for conversations recorded during May of 2022. Our episode today is structured into two halves. In the first 30 minutes, we look at what we mean by the term HRM and take a high-level look at its relationship to work and HRD. And then in the second 30 minutes, we dig deeper into that relationship. You can find out all about the questions explored in the episode, the three guest scholars, and also the episode sponsor by visiting allbypodcast.com forward slash HRM. Talking of sponsorship, Human Resource Development Masterclass is only made possible thanks to the wonderful support of our sponsors, who cover all of the costs associated with the series and so enable us to release them free of charge to listeners like you. I encourage you to show your thanks by checking them out and letting them know just how much their sponsorship means to you. Today's episode is sponsored by Interpretive Simulations. Since 2008, students and trainees have used Interpretive Simulations HR Management Simulation, where participants are tasked to make challenging decisions at the HR director level in a simulated environment. Students must build a strong HR function at their simulated, medium-sized organization and wrestle with the challenges of staying on budget. The simulation makes the connection between concept and practice while students learn by doing. It comes with assignments, mini-cases and quizzes to reinforce core HR principles. If you'd like to receive faculty access to review the HR management simulation, Visit them at interpretive.com and fill out a demo request. Right, let's dive into the episode. So welcome to our episode on HRD and human resource management. And let's start by meeting today's three guest scholars. First, I'd like to welcome Valerie Anderson, who is Professor of Human Resource Development and Education at the University of Portsmouth in the United Kingdom. Valerie is co-chair of the European University Forum for HRD and has leadership roles in the British Standards and International Standards Committees responsible for developing HRM standards. So welcome, Valerie. Thank you very much, Darren. Uh, hello, everybody. It's great to be here. And my second guest for the episode is Ronan Carberry, Executive MBA Director at Cork University Business School, University College Cork, Ireland, and co-director of the Human Resource Research Centre. Ronan is co-editor of the European Journal of Training and Development. Welcome, Ronan. Thanks very much, Darren. Delighted to be here. I have high expectations, given that season three of a lot of my favourite TV shows tend to peak uh, in season three. So I, I've got really high expectations there for this series of the podcast. And, and presumably lower expectations for seasons four and five, by the sound <laughs> of things. Now. 
<laughs> well, that, that depends on the guests that you have. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, and my final guest for the episode is uh, Jacek Mironski, who is full professor of the Department of International Management in Warsaw School of Economics, Poland where he heads three postgraduate study programs in public relations, coaching, and mentoring. Jacek's research focuses on organizational behavior and management, leadership, business communication, and cross-cultural management. So welcome, Jacek. Welcome. Thank you, Darren. Thank you for a very nice pronunciation of my name, and I'm glad to be with you today. Well, in the first part of the episode, we're going to be exploring definitions. And so I was wondering, Ronan, if you'd be willing to get the ball rolling by kickstarting a discussion for us on what's meant by the term human resource management. Sure. Thanks, Darren. So I think HRM or human resource management is the term that we most widely use to describe the activities that a business engages in to manage its relationship with its employees. So if you're an employer, a manager or an employee, all aspects of HRM are going to be relevant to your working life. And interestingly, your understanding and experiences of HRM, they're going to be influenced by your position. So in order for any organization to be successful, the employer needs an appropriate business strategy, which depends on the people employed in the organization. Managers need the right people in the right place, doing the right role to meet business targets. The employee needs a job that they feel capable of doing a fair and safe environment for which they're rewarded appropriately. So HRM, therefore, is about understanding and meeting the needs of these three different stakeholders. But it's also about appreciating that there are potential links between each of these needs and that some stakeholders are quite powerful, while others may have, I suppose, very little of any power at all. So in order to manage these relationships, organizations can choose from a range of different policies and practices, which together make up their HR strategies, such as how to recruit and select employees, what terms and conditions employees will work under. How do you ensure everyone in the organization is treated fairly? How to pay and reward employees? And also what learning and development opportunities your organization uh, may be willing to pay for. So we need to be cognizant of the fact, though, that while the employer might want a business that's always innovating and maybe breaking new ground competitively, managers may want a highly motivated, engaged and flexible team going beyond the requirements of their day-to-day -day job. Employees might want new challenges. They might want to develop and acquire new skills and have the opportunity to advance or earn more money. So when we consider HR from these perspectives, this kind of straightforward policies and practices become more complex and the potential links between them then become more pronounced. So how do you train somebody to build an existing product? That might be clear, but how do you develop somebody's skills to invent a new product? Should there be a pay difference in terms of how you reward somebody for building an existing product versus inventing a new one? And we have to be cognizant then that not all businesses operate in the same context. So it's likely that, say, for example, a large multinational corporation such as Apple or Google, they're going to make different strategic choices on its HR policies and practices that the choices of the owner of your nearest fast food chain will make, or indeed the choices that you might make if you were starting up your own business. And in addition, not all businesses view things the same way. Often the perspective that the owner or CEO has of human resources, that's what will determine the extent to which they recognize the role of the other two stakeholders in the business, that of managers and employees. And in terms of our understanding of the term HRM around the world, context is critical here. Business size, industry sector, location, et cetera, they all play an important role in shaping HR policy and practice. Ronan, when I listened to you, I admired how you were able to show the complexity of the term, that it's, uh, you can see it from many different angles, and you have several important key, play, key players in this process. Uh, uh, so I have some thoughts uh, in terms of the uh, definition of this area. One of them is uh, connected with the, the term itself, which is, we call it human resource management, which I personally think might be changed to people's management, uh, which because we don't want to, uh, to think about people as resources only, uh, which takes some of this human touch and uh, personal issue. Yeah, and I think when the term HRM first became popular, it was criticized because it referred to people as 
resources it's as if they were like land and labor. There were any other factor of production that we could leverage into economic value. I think it's not people that are referred to as human resources, but the way I'd, I'd like to see it and the way I explain it to my students, for example, when I'm uh, teaching in a classroom, it's individuals' knowledge and skills or competencies which they use in their daily roles. So people themselves aren't human resources. We're unique individuals who possess human resources. And these are our talents that we can use, that we can develop at work, that we can take with us when we move to another organization. Um, and I think looking at it in that perspective, then, it allows us to make, I suppose, much more clear linkages to HRD. So when we take it down to this key component, which HRM is about people, uh, different people in the organization, I think about those key processes connected to people, starting with attracting right people, like employee branding, then recruitment and selection. So bringing them in and checking which ones do you want, do you need. Then once you have them, it's about retention, keeping them at work. The, the next uh, key process, probably the one on which most manager fo- managers focus, it's uh, motivating and performance uh, management. And then you have to evaluate them uh, and uh, reward them for good job. And finally, if necessary, to say goodbye to them. And I think it might help to, uh, to see this whole process. And then when you uh, add all those important uh, points of view you talk, you see that in each of these processes, we have at least three main players, the employee itself, the manager, and the organization. Organization meant by uh, processes, uh, formal, uh, formal structures. And you can also add this international, uh, international aspect, which th- those processes will look like differently in different cultures. And uh, so, that would help to see that it's, it's the, the core of, the, of what we talk about are human beings, uh, uh, which help to run the organization. I really enjoyed listening to both of you there, uh, Ronan and Jacek. The elephant in the room, I think, by which I mean the thing that nobody has yet spoken of, but perhaps we must recognise and acknowledge, is that in addition to recruitment and selection and performance management and pay and reward and the employment relationships, crucially for human resource development, this can also often be seen as, uh, as part of human resource management is training and development or learning and development. And I think we have to acknowledge that this overlap between human resource development and human resource management is something about which when I'm with academic colleagues, scholarly colleagues and some specialist HRD consultants, they get very upset at the possible overlap of the, of the borders and the boundaries between human resource development and human resource management. Um, something which I do not notice when I am talking with practitioners in the field themselves. So I want to just perhaps suggest one more way of looking at and defining human resource management and actually human resource development separately. And that is to, to treat both of them as fields of practice and specifically fields of professional practice. Unlike some fields of professional practice, such as engineering, perhaps, or medicine, which are well established, I would like to suggest that to some extent, how we define human resource management as a field of practice is something that will change over time because these are new professional fields of practice. So I think perhaps we can say that they are emerging or in this, they're in a state of becoming. And whilst we can talk about them as we understand them at the moment, what's interesting to me is perhaps they will look different in the next 20, 30, 40 years. And that's what makes them particularly interesting for me as both a practitioner and as a scholar. 
we'll probably spend the rest of the episode unpacking a lot of what's just been talked about. Um, so, so maybe maybe one place to start that unpacking is just to understand a little bit of history, and then we'll start talking maybe at that point about the relationship with HRD. Actually, Yatsek uh, used the term uh, like people and personnel. And I remember when I first started work um, back in the 80s, the human resources department was the personnel department. Um, and so the term HRM has sort of evolved maybe over the last 20, 30 years, uh, as indeed as HRD. So, so, so Ronan, I wonder if, if we go back to what you were saying earlier about HRM, I, I'm interested in, in your thinking about how that HRM concept maybe has changed over the years, particularly in relation to how, how HRM connects with, with the workplace. I think work is obviously central to the well-being of individuals and society. We only have to look at the impact that unemployment has on individual well-being and morale. So how human resources then are managed in organization has a profound impact on our lives. Personally, I think that those four things are clear in the current landscape, which are impacting significantly on our views of work. So firstly, like we've not only moved from a world where individuals spend their entire careers in a single organization to careers unfolding across multiple organizations, but also the very nature of jobs and work is shifting. And this is reflected in the increasing prevalence of the gig economy, where the number of individual contractors in the labor market continues to rise as individuals often work for multiple employers simultaneously. Uh, the second is the continued globalization of business and work, and technology is a key enabler of accessing talent regardless of where it's located the third thing which is evident is the potential impact of artificial intelligence in the workplace so the, while a pessimistic view is that this trend will lead to the erosion of millions of jobs worldwide maybe a more nuanced or optimistic view maybe that ai will remove perhaps many mundane or laborious tasks from the workplace and then the final key theme is the acceleration of hybrid and remote working as a result of covid19 I think the role of HR is critical here in ensuring that hybridization works as well as it can for both employees and employers. So more now more than ever, I think HR really needs to understand the lived experiences that employees are going through and to support them, and maybe not just in their experience as workers, but in their lives. I think what's abundantly clear is that the HR function is fundamentally important here. It plays a central role in our experience of work. It acts as the guardians of organizational culture uh, and is the owner of the HR systems and processes which set the parameters of how an organization treats its employees. I think uh, what you've said there, Ronan, is, is really very interesting. Um, and I wonder if to some extent I, I might want to challenge you a little bit and say that you're painting a very positive picture of HRM in what I agree is a very a radically changing way of working that the, the um, work and the future of work is very different. I'm going to be a historical again here, but maybe in the at around the turn of the century, uh, practitioners in HR and scholars got very exercised about the idea of HR as a strategic business partner, focusing entirely or primarily on therefore supporting the business to achieve competitive advantage and economic growth. So the agenda of the organization became primary. Now, I think we have increasingly had to recognize as the 21st century has gone along and um, you and certainly during the pandemic things got thrown entirely up into the air um, there have been accusations that following that line of development hrm has become potentially ethically vacuous and hrm has perhaps sacrificed workers' mental health, well-being, work-life balance, um, to the service of achieving competitive advantage. And so my contention might be that as we think about how HRM relates with work and the workplace, and as we look towards the future, we have to really 
start to think or ask whether we need a paradigm shift in HRM to, to achieve a better balance between some of the good things you talked about there, Ronan, in terms of worker well-being um, and development with the economic outcomes that have thus far been prioritised in our human resource development um, talk and justification of our, our role in the organisation. To some extent, if you focus very much on this human resources as people's competences, people's uh, skills, people's uh, potential, but without people themselves, then the risk of what Valerie said is even higher, that you may miss this human being behind that, uh, uh, with this work-life balance, emotional needs, and so on and so forth. And I believe this will become even more important with those new generations, which are not so, uh, at least what I see in Poland and uh, from some research in some other countries, they are less focused on work in the sense, in, in a way that older generation understood it. So the centrality of work is changing. So uh, it's not enough that this business-oriented uh, HRM approach might not be sufficient. Now, another observation, I see two interesting, somehow at least superficially contradicting phenomena. One, I would say, is the decentralization of HRM, which means that uh, more and more we expect that line managers and uh, those direct supervisors will serve those functions. So we add to them, we, we delegate to them, and uh, we realize that just the central approach is not enough. Uh, it's more like HRM is providing the right environment and tools, but the, the essence of this uh, function should be done by managers, by those who have direct contact with people. HRM is, is also entering there in the field with uh, uh, HR business partners, but still this is the decentralization. On the other hand, why I'm saying that it might be contradictory. So with the centralization, I believe that uh, this COVID and uh, mobile work will somehow increase the, the central role of HR, which means it will become even more important in the, so the, the central role will, will grow. You can look at it from the power perspective. So personal department were probably the uh, third, fourth in row, in, in line, uh, in terms of importance uh, several years ago. HR, M departments are now very often on the top of the, uh, in terms of how influential different departments are. Oh, I wonder if that's a good segue into into exploring the relationship between HRM and HRD. So, so Valerie, can we go back to what you were saying earlier about that relationship between the two? Would you be able to unpack that a little more for us? I'll try to unpack it a little bit. I'm aware that in different national contexts, the relationship between these two fields and these two sets of practices does vary. So I can only really speak from my own UK and, and research sort of perspective. And I, my sense is that there are two alternative ways that we can narrate and understand the relationship between and the connection between human resource management and human resource development. One of those narratives is of competition and contestation, by which I mean in organisational settings. Uh, and when I worked as an HRD practitioner in a range of different organisational settings, I had to be constantly vigilant that my budget wouldn't be whisked away from under my feet in order to support other HRM initiatives. Um, we often hear from practitioners and organizations that training is the easiest thing to cut. That narrative um, 
was wonderfully contradicted recently in the pandemic when all of a sudden um, organizations realized how important it was at pace to ensure that people were equipped with the skills and capabilities to operate in a hybrid or a remote way, um, often from a, a, a position where they had only ever worked um, in person and in um, organizational buildings before. My own view is that understanding that form of connection or lack of connection um, as one of competition is that that misses the point and, and is mistaken. So I prefer to understand the connection between human resource management and human resource development as, as much more of a symbiotic relationship, um, a mutually beneficial symbiotic relationship. I often find myself arguing that HRM and HRD are distinctive and they are autonomous. They have their own centers of knowledge and expertise, if you will. They are both, however, fundamentally important in interdependent ways in corporate systems. I regard them as codependent and yet nonetheless autonomous and distinctive. So my argument is that we as, as HRD practitioners and scholars can be looking for opportunities to collaborate, to cooperate, and to generate innovative, change-orientated solutions to deal with the problems. And this is something, and I'm coming at it from an Irish, UK-type context in terms of the academic institution, but as somebody who did their PhD in the field of HRD, editing a HRD journal, I'm not sure if how we set up or how we teach our students uh, is doing justice to that second kind of perspective that, that Valerie has spoken about, which I fully agree with. So most university courses at both postgrad and undergrad levels here in Ireland and in the UK incorporate HRD within a broader HRM type discipline. And that often gives the impression that HRD is a subsidiary um, aspect to HRM and it can really confuse matters as to the distinctiveness of HRD and when I te teach both postgraduate students for example very few of them uh, have ever heard of the term HRD even though the title of the module that they're taking would be human resource development they're much more familiar with learning and development talent development etc the terms that are used in organizations and if we look at research that's been done uh, it often highlights that HRD roles in organizations were kind of traditionally included within the HRM department, where those involved often had very little background or training in HRD due to what was perceived to be a very ambiguous nature of HRD. And I, I think that that's changing for the better, but it is quite slow. But I think a lot of HRM practitioners would see HRD as being subservient to what they do. I, I agree with both of you uh, in terms of I, I would rather go for the second uh, option Valerie presented. Uh, so I would go even farther. I mean, to some extent, I believe that those two areas are the same. Uh, only they achieve uh, it from a bit different angle. What I mean is like, if we define HRM or managing people, that the main goal of managing people is that their value is growing over time, then actually the essence of every HR process uh, is to develop people. Only that HRM is more, more focused on the results of this development, so that they produce more, that they are, that we, we have the higher uh, competitive advantage, and HRD, it's more about uh, how to get there. I mean, uh, how to make those people employees to be more, uh, more valuable. It is sometimes very difficult to, to draw the line of connection or separation between the two functions um, because, uh, because so much is influenced by the way that we carry out our professional um, and vocational education processes. So 
for example, I think I'm right in saying that in many institutions, uh, universities in um, the United States, HRD education is carried out in schools of education and has an adult education and instructional stance. Whereas in the UK um, and in Ireland, as Ronan has described it, the, the education processes are located in the business school. So actually the functions of business and the functions of human resource management probably dominate the agenda more than the different the consideration of the different value sets those are taken as implicit my sense also is that increasingly as the labor market and the nature of organizations and the what we might call the world of work changes um, this presents challenges values challenges to both hrm and to hrd and for me, this was reflected substantially during the recent two or three years when across the globe, organisations were trying to cope with the global pandemic and to keep their organisations viable and working and sustainable. And there, very it, during that time, it occurred to me, at least in spoken words, different values were espoused for human resource management that once upon a time we would have said probably were more underpinning the values of human resource development because we were talking very much about flexibility, well-being, um, quality of working life. And for a while, essential workers were seen as those workers who carried out remarkably previously unstatus worthy occupations but they were the things that kept societies going so my view is that um, you are right to highlight the the area whereby whereby maybe traditionally we've thought that human resource development focuses on values which are developmental and about human flourishing shall we say and um, human resource management focuses on different areas and different functions with different implicit values. But it seems to me that perhaps that time is coming to an end and there will be a conflation of values across human resource development and human resource management. My thought is that uh, the distinction between HRM and HRD appears when you have a narrow view of both of them especially HRD, when you just limit it to training, formal processes, even talent management, it's, it's then the formal process in which you have to certain steps. But uh, when you have the broader view of both of them, so it's actually they, they not substantially different. So I will use this micro example. So my first employer was Procter and & Gamble. And, uh, and uh, when I look throughout my experience with this employer, I can clearly see that many other aspects of my work and the way I was managed, besides just being trained and uh, formally developed, were actually a developmental experiences. Recruitment and selection was already there, then socialization then even work itself, the way it was organized, was a developing experience. So that's what I mean, that uh, in practice and reality, this distinction is, is even not necessary. I know that we need it in, 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 case, in, in order to understand and to uh, somehow teach it and uh, break it down, uh, but they should actually overlap each other and uh, development should be understood far much broader than just this uh, adding new competences and knowledge through formal training, uh, uh, education and so on and so forth.
We'll be back in a moment with more from Jacek, Ronan and Valerie as we dig deeper into the relationship between HRD and HRM. First though, here's an important reminder that this episode is brought to you thanks to the wonderful sponsorship support of Interpretive Simulations. Since 2008, students and trainees have used Interpretive Simulations HR Management Simulation where participants are tasked to make challenging decisions at the HR director level in a simulated environment. Students must build a strong HR function at their simulated, medium-sized organization and wrestle with the challenges of staying on budget. The simulation makes the connection between concept and practice while students learn by doing. It comes with assignments, mini-cases and quizzes to reinforce core HR principles. If you'd like to receive faculty access to review the HR management simulation, visit them at interpretive.com and fill out a demo request. Right, let's return to our discussion for the second half of the episode. Welcome back to our episode on HRD and HRM, where I'm joined by Valerie Anderson of the University of Portsmouth, by Ronan Carberry of University College Cork, by Jacek Moronski of Warsaw School of Economics. And already we've discussed what's meant by the term HRM and also how HRM works with HRD. And I'm thinking that's a good place to continue our conversation. In particular, earlier in the episode, Jacek, you referenced generational changes. And I'm wondering how you see those impacting organizations and specifically how HRM and HRD should be working together to address the impact of generational changes? Maybe it would be nice to start with Generation Z and uh, what kind of uh, opportunities and challenges may those uh, young people bring to HRM and HRD. So I will tell you a few words about the outcomes of a research project which was done in my course uh, by students who are themselves are Generation Z about the Generation Z and their expectations toward employers. The main focus for them uh, should go to enjoying their work. So work should be an interesting, fulfilling experience. What I learned from my student was that they perceive themselves, the Generation Z, as the first truly digital generation. So that's what makes their basic fundamental identity. However, they place a very big importance of the, on this face-to-face -face contact and the real human interaction. So for example, according to one research, when asked about their preference to have online courses, so would they prefer to have online courses run by employers as compared to face-to-face, -face, only 13, one, three, uh, percent of them would prefer online courses, and it was a smaller number than, for example, millennials, which was 21%. The outcome of this project were some tips what to do. One of them was uh, companies uh, should personalize careers, so give the individual opportunities to different uh, uh, people, employees, leverage the expertise. For example, the mentorship was in, uh, mentioned as an important way of uh, giving the chances to develop more social issues-oriented model toward managing people, set up an internal skill marketplace because Generation Z people want to perceive themselves as somehow Renaissance people. So they don't want that much to specialize they would like to experience several opportunities early at the career. So that's some kind of introduction. Introduction. I would love to hear your opinions uh, uh, from Valerie and Ronan. The, the generational breakdowns that we often refer to or the, 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 the definitions, personally, I think that they are very convenient labels that we can apply. But to some extent, I find them also rather problematic because they suggest an amount of stereotyping, which for me challenges some of the issues of diversity in the workplace. And I think that these age stereotypes can be both positive and negative. 
before the pandemic, very few organisations invested much actually in their provision for younger uh, workers, but particularly for older workers. There was very little attention paid to HRM interventions to recruit and retain older workers. Since the pandemic, we have an acute skills shortage, uh, what we sometimes refer to as the great resignation, where a lot of older workers are opting out of the labour market. And as a result of that, vacancies and skills are in, uh, vacancies are high, they're running hot, and skills are in short supply. So I, I would like to, if you will, tweak and uh, apply some of the ideas that you're, you, you mentioned from your students' projects, but I think they can be more usefully applied to foster a more of an age-diverse approach in human resource development and in human resource management. And I think employability development throughout the life cycle is something that HRD must attend to in organisations going forward. And I certainly agree that there is a need for much greater investment in issues around job sharing, flexible working, uh, investment in um, work life and family life balance, mental health and workplace stress issues, which are often highlighted as negative features of the work experience by, by all generations. Um, and as you rightly say, recognising that people are increasingly making career choices at different stages of their work life cycle. And so that that is something we have not done enough to build into not just recruitment strategies, but to our development strategies. So I would I would argue for a more age diverse and age inclusive approach when we think about generational issues. Well, maybe going back to some um, challenges here for both HRM and HRD in the context of performance management, I think this is an area where HRM and HRD can perhaps work more closely. This has really been brought to the fore as a result of COVID, and it's made it evident that many organizations don't implement state-of-the-art performance management systems and maybe just have performance appraisal systems that kind of typically involve once a year evaluation and review with perhaps little effort to provide feedback and coaching on an ongoing basis, often little alignment between employee performance and an organization's strategic goals, a focus on past performance only. And given how central performance management processes are in identifying learning needs in a HOD context, well then, if this isn't done properly, then the significant risks that the HOD needs of many employees will be ignored. So earlier, I mentioned that many organizations often use a combination of behaviors and results. Um, and there's, there, there are a number of reasons to use behaviors to evaluate performance. For example, the link between behaviors and results might not be obvious. Work outcomes might occur in the distant future. Results may be beyond the employee's control. But like if you, if you think of somebody, so here in 2022, imagine somebody who's been working or who entered the workforce two years ago and has been primarily been working from home. With the advent of remote working, organizations now need to rely more on the results approach because behaviors are no longer easily observable or accessible. And there's usually more than, I suppose, one right way to do the job. So for individuals now who are working from home uh, and engaged in remote working or hybrid working, I think in the absence of kind of specific observable behaviors, it, it makes it challenging to identify HRD needs at the individual level. And I think this is something that both HRD and HRM practitioners are going to have to contend with over the coming years. So, so we've heard a bit there about generational changes. And I think like, and a couple of you also touched upon the remote hybrid piece. So that, that there's clearly a, a, a lot of changes happening in organizations at this point. And so I'm wondering what other challenges organizations are facing and, and how HRM and HRD can help each other in understanding those challenges and working on them. I think I would highlight three, what I would perhaps refer to as big ticket challenges, headline challenges. The first of those would be the radically changed world of work or changing world of work, by which I mean we're seeing a big rise in 
uh, professional level knowledge work required in organizations, but equally another probably larger rise of precarious jobs, of jobs that do not benefit from what we might call standard employment relationships, regulated employment relationships. So I think we're seeing a very different looking world of work and employment. And within that, and part of that, how technology is radically influencing both work and working lives. So by here, I'm referring to automation patterns, increasing patterns of automation in many, many spheres of work, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and of course, the uh, normalization of remote working or patterns of hybrid working. So I think big ticket number one is a very radically altered face of work and working lives in organizations. The second challenge I would highlight would be changing patterns of global migration within the global labor market. Um, I'm very taken with studies that have shown me that two thirds of migrants, global migrants, are labor migrants. But in fact, that feature of the labor market, in my experience, doesn't feature very often in our HRM or our HRD strategies. So I think changing patterns of global migration are a challenge that we haven't yet faced up to, but I think it's time we did. And then the third big ticket issue that I would highlight would be around sustainability. This is not a new issue. Sustainability has been on the agenda since the turn of the century. There are many large organizations and CEO statements about the importance of sustainable business operations, but you do not see much change in the business as normal patterns of many, many organizations. And our attention in HRD continues to focus on profit maximization, the business need for profit maximization, more so than concern for well-being of individuals in organization and developing human potential more generally. So those for me would be my th three big ticket challenges, radically changing world of work, global migration patterns, and the, um, the shift towards sustainable and responsible management in organizations. I would like to follow uh, uh, one, of your, uh, one of those trends you said, just uh, giving an example which I'm experiencing, like a big experiment and, uh, on one of those trends, which is global migration. Because Poland received uh, uh, welcome almost uh, around 3 million of uh, Ukrainian people entering Polish uh, country, but also Polish labor market. And for me, I think it's, it's really worthwhile to observe how it's going to develop, because for now it's going quite smoothly and surprisingly well. Uh, one reason for that, which I see is, is, is of course, the, the, the big sympathy toward uh, Ukrainian people from Polish uh, people, but another is that, uh, that we don't have too many important cultural differences because Poland is not equally open to all immigrants, uh, uh, migrants, and, uh, but with Ukraine, I would say uh, from the company's point of view and the labor market point of view and the country point of view, it, uh, it's going surprisingly smoothly and uh, and uh, well, and it's it's, it's, it's good to, to watch this trend and see what we can learn out of it. Yeah, I was just going to pick up on one of the points that Valerie made in the in the context of precarious work. And I think if we look at the gig economy, I think this kind of calls attention to a very different form of labor where roles are typically non-professional. So they require very little investment in education or training. And this is something that's been explored extensively since its emergence over the last decade or so in the wider management and HR literature, but less so when it comes to HRD. And if we look at work in the gig economy, so it's characterized by precariousness, a very short-term focus. Some workers see it as a kind of a temporary 
stop or temporary arrangement in their career, whereas others see gig work as open-ended, a potentially long-term endeavor. And I really do worry for what it means for those individuals who engage in, for example, food delivery with DoorDash or Deliveroo or ride-hailing services like Uber for an extended period of time. So I've been studying work in the gig economy for a number of years. And from a HRD perspective, workers really face significant challenges in accumulating job-related knowledge and career-related skills. And this is kind of, that's pretty bleak when you consider how poor the job security is. And even workers who've been doing these roles for a relatively long period of time, they've said that it's not anything that you can really put on your CV. Nobody's going to write a reference for you. So for those individuals trying to get out of the gig economy and to transition to more what we consider standardized or stable forms of work, um, I think that's going to be really challenging. The reality is that the longer you engage in this type of work, the more difficult it is to then transition out of it to more traditional forms of employment. So from a HRD perspective, and especially for, from a policy perspective, I think this is something that maybe not enough attention has been given to. I think you've raised a very interesting point there, Ronan, and that is where as well some of these challenges intersect because the other intriguing thing, rather depressing thing, I think, is that in in many countries, low-skilled migrants occupy big parts of of the low-skilled, precarious uh, labour market and indeed sometimes the unofficial labour market as well. What you often also see is that skilled migrants, professional migrants, very often find themselves having to make downward career transitions as they migrate. So very often people with high skills find it impossible to uh, find employment to deploy those skills and professional expertise in the host country and they themselves end up becoming part of the lower skill and often more precarious labour market which human capital theory would suggest to us is, is a big waste. Before the war it was exactly as you said uh, Valerie which means uh, When we talk about Ukrainian workers coming to Poland, they were coming and they were taking mostly those unwanted, lower paid, not not required high qualification jobs. Doesn't matter what kind of qualifications, education they had at home. But what we observe now, and which I think is a promising trend, is maybe because there is a so huge number of them, and then there is this openness from this, uh, from the government, from uh, employers, from the society. What we at least, we can observe at least to some extent is that finally teachers who are teachers in Ukraine may become teachers in Poland. Doctors who are doctors in Ukraine may become doctors in Poland. And all of a sudden we realized that yes, it would be a huge waste not to use this expertise. But then we also realized to some extent that only through openness and uh, flexibility, and I would say when there is a need, when is the the will, there will be a way, right, uh, to do. And you can clearly observe this, uh, that of course doctors have to be certified and they have to go through this uh, official state exams sometimes, but they were offered they can shadow Polish doctors and then it shortens very quickly the, the career path and to, to become the independent doctors. Teachers start with teaching Ukrainian children, but then they can also teach Polish children soon after, after they learn Polish language enough. So yeah, I think it's, it, it used to be, and it still there is, this traditional pattern, right? Uh, immigrants uh, occupying the lower level of the job pyramid. But then I think this uh, new situation showed that there is the chance to do it otherwise, to do it uh, uh, differently. It feels like that part of our conversation has surfaced a number of what could be considered like strategic issues for organizations, which takes me into wanting to ask about the fact there's a lot of emphasis placed on strategic HRM and also on the topic of strategic HRD. 
And so I'm wondering what you see as the relationship between those and, and how you see HRD and HRM working together at a strategic level. So we kind of established earlier that the, the, the key role of the HR function is to enable the organization to achieve its strategic objectives and to positively impact organizational effectiveness um, by dealing effectively with all aspects of the employment relationship. Ideally, in this situation, HRD should have a strategic role because HRD practitioners, they're responsible for L&D, they're responsible for talent management and career development amongst other strategic roles. So uh, identifying human capital often goes beyond simply developing talented individuals already within the organization to actually helping the HR function identify, select, recruit, manage, motivate, and retain those people that are considered necessary to achieve organizational goals, objectives, and strategies. So if the HR function then is tasked with enabling growth, productivity, and profitability, then it does require the creation of complementary HRM and HRD strategies in line with the overall business strategy. So these then are your plans that address and solve fundamental strategic issues related to the management of human resources in an organization. Um, So for example, like in the context of the scarcity of talent in the external labor market. Organizations often strive to develop their internal workforce, and that's obviously a critical factor then impacting competitive advantage. And training has been acknowledged as a key HR practice to improve employee morale, productivity, and ultimately organizational performance. And we see continued investment in employees' knowledge, skills, and attributes uh, to the extent, I think that firms increasingly appreciate the strategic importance of investment in training, learning, development, HRD, to gain and sustain a competitive advantage. I agree with you. Certainly in the UK, um, our thinking about people strategy or HRM strategy suggests that HRD is part of a wider human resources strategy the two aren't separate they are often an an HRD strategy is often seen as a subset of a wider HRM agenda and strategy my perspective though is that this is not always good for HRD and I say that because one of the thing I one of the things particularly I have noticed in contemporary writing, thinking, and practice about strategy is a lot of the discourse in both HRM and HRD recently has got very wrapped up in data analytics and human capital reporting as a means by which to examine strategic success and indeed plan forward Um, but I think if like me you want to focus on HRD strategy which I define as being very wrapped up with developing individual and organizational capability then my concern is that the primacy of reporting metrics measures and analytics means that we neglect the strategic HRD capabilities, which I would see as being workforce flexibility, which I would see as being change readiness across the organization, which I would define as being built on organizational learning procedures. And I don't think those things are reducible to the normal strategic discourse that perhaps our HRM colleagues would prefer us to have. So I'm not averse to benchmarks of ethical or excellent practice. Um, I certainly think we need to examine uh, trends, longitudinal data. But I also think going back to points we've also raised about All those many people who work on behalf of our organization, but are not formally employed by the organization, they might be gig workers or other forms of precarious or non-standard workers. I think we need much greater strategic consistency and transparency about how we deploy and how we develop everybody 
who works on behalf of the organization, whether they are formally contracted as employees or not. So I would like to see HRD being a little bit more uh, confident of making a claim to make organizations think strategically in a different way. From a perspective of the person who is more an OB person than HRD person. Uh, so I would start with uh, uh, the honest statement that um, before we met and we discussed, I was one of those who truly believed that HRD is just part of HRM, which has the, like, it's like a smaller brother or smaller sister uh, of this bigger brother, bigger sister. Uh, thanks to our conversation, I realized uh, how much more is in it. And instead of proposing something, I would rather like to ask one question, because it looks like uh, HRD, especially the strategic HRD, if I understood correctly, Ronan and Valerie, the, the role of it is undermined. So do you think there are any specific, specific uh, measures, uh, solutions can be taken by HRD managers, people, society, uh, to, uh, to increase, develop their role in, uh, in organization? What interesting questions you do pose, <laughs> Yasek. This is a personal view, and it's not therefore a highly evidence-based view. It's perhaps overly anecdotal. My own view is that the HRD field could move out of the shadow of HRM, if you wish, if those people who were engaged in the field have got the confidence to engage in a entrepreneurial and in a collaborative way, not just with our colleagues in human resource management, but with other organizational players and stakeholders in other adjacent fields of practice. I see a lot of blurring of boundaries professionally and I think we have plenty to learn from colleagues in marketing, in consumer research, for example. There is scope for us to find our own narrative and tell a story about organisational learning, flexibility and development that would leave us less subservient to the HRM discourse. That's, that's my um, that's my quest in life, to develop that for myself and for my students. So I, I'm conscious that we're coming close to the end of our time for today, but I'm wondering whether a good place to wrap this up is in considering implications for people who are listening, and particularly what the career implications are for those who are working in HRD in light of the relationship between HRM and HRD. So would, would one of you be willing to share a few thoughts on what you see as the career implications? I will certainly have a try. My view is that there is plenty of scope for people who are interested and committed in individual and organisational learning to build interesting careers um, that um, play to the development of specific expertise in areas like as diverse as workplace learning, coaching and mentoring, uh, communication through social media and digital learning and communications, um, people who could take forward organizational agendas in well-being, in executive development, in organizational change and transformation. So I think there are many avenues for an HRD career. I think this is a good and an optimistic time for HRD professionals, but it requires creativity. It requires adaptiveness. I think it requires us to move away from overdosing on instructional design or training design. And I think it calls upon us to wise up to the technological, but also to the social and economic dynamics 
in which the organizations and the institutions of the future will operate. So I think an HRD career may be described by fulfilling roles that have different labels, talent development, human capital development, whatever. But I do think the need for skill development and for learning and change readiness will be an organizational constant and therefore a career opportunity for those people who wish to pursue it. Well, that feels like a perfect way of, of bringing us home, Valerie. So thank you so much indeed. And unfortunately, we've run out of time for today, but I wanted to say a big thank you to all three of you for, for joining me and for such an interesting conversation on HRD and HRM. So a big thanks to Valerie Anderson, to Ronan Carberry, and to Jacek Moronski. So thank you so much indeed. Thank you. Thanks, Darren. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. It was wonderful spending time with Valerie Anderson, Ronan Carberry, and Jacek Moronski. If you enjoyed this episode, check out all of our others. There were 22 in the first two seasons, and we're releasing a further 11 here in the third. Between them, they provide access to conversations with over 75 leading HRD scholars from around the world. New episodes release weekly. To learn more about the series, check out hrdmasterclass.com. And to learn about the Academy of Human Resource Development, check out ahrd.org. By becoming a member, you can access extra bonus materials. Also, don't forget to look into the episode sponsor, Interpretive Simulations. Find out about their HR management simulation at interpretive.com. I'm looking forward to being with you in our next episode when we're exploring the relationship between HRD and economics with the help of Nicholas Clark of the University of Kent in the United Kingdom, Thomas Garavan of Cork University Business School in Ireland and Kibam Kwan of Texas A&M University Commerce in the United States. Until then, this is Darren Short signing off from the Human Resource Development Masterclass. Human Resource Development Masterclass is brought to you by the Academy of Human Resource Development and is a production of allbypodcast.com. <laughs>